listening to the Ed Reach Network. Ed Gamer, episode 33 on Ed Reach. Two separate ideas that need to join. This is Ed Gamer for Saturday, December 10th, 2011. Ed Gamer is part of the EdReach Network, edreach.us, giving education a voice. A big voice. This show is dedicated to education gaming on any platform. We will give you the education angle on any type of games ranging from tabletops to MMOs. We will discuss how these games impact student learning and how they can be used effectively within the classroom. I'm Zach. And I'm Jerry. And Jerry, mm-hmm. read that intro. Okay, let me see if I can find it. My name is Jerry James, and I am a visual arts educator at Schomburg High School in Schomburg, Illinois. I, I don't think you were following me there. <laughs> no, no, I skipped a word. <laughs> I, yeah, oh yeah, I didn't change that out. Yeah, senior, uh, senior James. I used to be uh, senior, yeah. Yes, uh, yeah, I'll change that back in the Google Doc. No, I was talking about the introduction. This show is dedicated to education gaming on any platform. Oh. It, it takes me two places. It, I wonder, you know, like, do we ever need to change that? And I don't know if that gets boring to everybody. And then, you know, I just... Um, I just read an article this week that talked about how the different iterations of Star Trek, of how the introduction was read and what what words were used and and so on and so forth. So I thought that was really. So I, as I read that, to boldly go, <laughs> no man, no one has gone before. <laughs> so I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess our introduction is not as cool as you know. We can change it up. You want to? throw something in there every we'll, we'll week think about it. we'll think about it makes yeah. it a little different yeah maybe we throw some you know you know space the final frontier you know i don't know I don't, we might get sued for something like that i think yeah maybe in a galaxy long long <laughs> yeah so okay and i just watched uh you, we, people have no idea who we are unless you follow us but you know i just watched uh episode two of Star Wars, which I kind of cringe a little bit, but my daughter wanted to see it. My youngest daughter wanted to see it. Yes. I just skipped over a few scenes. <laughs> not appropriate. Uh, but uh, she did, you know, she kept on asking, are they going to marry? Are they going to marry? <laughs> is, that, is that Luke and Leia's uh, mother and father? <laughs> so she's she's getting the gist. So now i got to watch number three before she watches it because I'm going to have to figure out what parts to skip. <laughs> I don't watch since I watched that. So now that I went through that whole diatribe, Mm-hmm. Of things, of you know, of discussion. You are Jerry. You're I from am. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you're an art educator. I am Zach Gilbert. I'm your host. I'm a sixth grade social studies language arts teacher from Normal, Illinois, and I go on tangents every once in a while. <laughs> every once in a while. <laughs> once in a while. Hey, you know, um, Wooddale. Do you know Wooddale? Yeah. Um, we just had a. I won't say a name, but we had an educator. Uh, that substituted yesterday on my team, who is a retired teacher from Wooddale. I just thought I'd share that with you. He was really good. That's nice. Got his his name and number because those of you out there that you know are able to, which he told us he wasn't able to, we are able to request our own substitutes, hmm. and which is really nice. So if we get a good substitute, a um, a former retired you know a retired teacher, yeah. 
property that's really good, we want their name and number, and then we can request them, and then it makes it easier to write subplans and have somebody come in. But uh, yeah, we got his name and number because he was really good. Yeah, we do that quite often because being in an area like art, it's usually uh, if we know we have somebody that's really good, then the kids can actually work. Otherwise, it's movie day. Yeah, that, that's not good. Yeah. That's not good. Okay, so today um, we are going to discuss two separate – they are separate. Would you agree they're separate ideas? Uh, yeah, yeah. They're, I mean they're – I don't think they were intended to be linked together. Yeah, right. They're not they, – the intention was not linkage, mm-hmm. right? So they weren't intended to be linked, and yet I think they are, and so – I don't know where – I can't remember who tweeted it out. Somebody did. I, I'd have to go back and check, so I'm sorry if I, I'm leaving somebody out here. But David Warlick, who I need to find out more information about because his website uh, seems to get hits from all over the world. Hmm. And, of course, he has this photo taken um, by this uh, – Ewan, Ewan, uh, I always forget how to pronounce E-W-A-N. Ewan. 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 Yeah. Uh, Macintosh. Mm-hmm. That's a good Polish name. Mm. Uh, Scottish. No, and no, it is. I'm a social studies teacher. I know these things. I just, it's a joke. Okay, so. Oh, okay. It, I missed that joke. It's a picture of him in Shanghai, this David Warlick. I'm like, okay, he's kind of a world uh, traveler here. So he gets a lot of hits. So this guy's pretty popular, and I just need to know more about him. So he did a article about what is what if curriculum was an adventure, which is right up our alley. Mm-hmm. Right? Then there was an article written by uh, Ben Gray from the Chicagoland area, mm-hmm. and he's been working on a one-on-one initiative, and he has some great topics or great questions. It wasn't really an, an answer post or an answer document, but it was just things need to change. These are some of the things that need to change, and you know, let's start talking about this. Well, I definitely think that, one, Ben Gray's um, article can be answered a little bit by David Warlick's post. Mm-hmm. That was going to be my observation. I was going to wait until after we talked about him, but so I guess we're done. Uh, <laughs> so that's it. I no, I think that's what I think that's yeah. what you've done is you looked yeah. at one and said there's a need for change. How can we change it? And then the yeah. other kind of fills in nicely of hey, here's a great way. Well, don't movies? You know how sometimes they'll give you the here's what happens. <clears throat> now let's go back and find out how we got there. Yeah, it's like Memento. Have you ever seen the movie Memento? No. I know Mentos. No, not Mentos. Not the candy. It's a Memento. It's a very good movie. Um, okay. It I've... goes like back and forth, and part of it's in yeah. color, and part of it's in black and white, and one part's going forward, and the other's going backwards. It's very confusing. Yeah. No, there's um, there's some great books. There's some great TV shows that have done that. I think Battlestar Galactica has done that. We should do that one week where we start the podcast, you go like forward in the podcast, and I'll start at the end. Yeah. Discuss topics from the end, and then yeah. we'll meet in the middle. There you go. That'd be weird. Like it'd be, psychedelic. It'd be terrible. Yes, it would. Okay, so on that note, uh, so David Warlick's uh, you know, article talks about his discussion at an event that was arranged by ISD, and it was also uh, attended by Peggy Sheehy, who is uh, highly regarded uh, within gaming and education, games and learning, mm-hmm. uh, by many including one of our, our, our friend of Ed Gamer. Uh, that'd be an FOG, right? Fred, friend of yeah, FOG. Yes. FOG. Um, Lucas Gillespie. So 
David goes off in this. He he talks about. I highlighted a few parts of the article, and so David, sorry if if you are listening, that'd be great. I'm gonna kind of I'm quoting you here. I did some air quotes. Most people still see games and learning as work, and although many of us have become convinced of the learning potentials of video games and begun to promote their use, the game, um, the game is still what happens after the teaching. Mm-hmm. I like that part. So you know, do we? That's kind of the old school teaching is, and this is kind of what my district and others, it's kind of a, a change in atmosphere and roles within the classroom. Mm-hmm. You're not the sage on the stage. You're not standing up there the whole time, you know, directing. You are, you might be an expert of the knowledge, but how that information gets to your kids, they're just not going to open up their heads and, you know, basically suck everything in. Right what you're what you're talking about and you know my mentor um when i first started teaching you know and i think this applies too said that at the end of the day the kids are the ones that should be tired Mm. you know you do all the planning and then the kids need to work that's interesting And, and when they work you know they're they're learning they're doing you know, you can have some great lessons and you know, there's some days I'm, I, I think I am a pretty good storyteller and the kids do enjoy the stories and I hear feedback from them and their parents. And so, you know, this week I talked about Pearl Harbor. So, um, because my projector was broke for my smart birds. <laughs> so I spent a day, you know, I said, Pearl, it's December 7th. I'm going to talk about Pearl Harbor. You know, I had the kids totally enthralled. I had parents that emailed, said, thank you for doing this. You know, this is not something that, you know, happens. It was, you know, a good lesson. So I can do that every once in a while. But, you know, that's just, I can't do that every day. And the kids would get bored of that. Totally bored of that. So, you know, standing up, give maybe a mini lesson and then uh, have the kids work. Mm-hmm. Give them give them, give them, them some base information and then they can go on. And sometimes you need that. Sometimes you don't, don't even need to do that. Mm-hmm. Here's what, here's, you know, here's your directions. Go off and, and do. So, do you, I mean, do you do that, do that in art? I mean, you're standing up in front of the class the whole time and just teaching? No, no. It probably the exact opposite, in fact. You know, I guess it depends on the class. But we face the same challenges. We have, um, you know, the same educational movements. There's, like, DBAE, which is, like, a total 80s movement, which is everyone learns how to draw the same apple and they keep drawing that apple until they draw it perfectly. And when you're done drawing an apple, you learn how to draw a can of pop, you know, and it's, it's, there, there's one expected outcome and mastery is meant to be reached very early. And, and it's, it's very rigid. And then there's the other end of like, you know, let's let kids discover, let's let them paint all over themselves and let's, you know, sort of just do the complete opposite of you know exploring and and so by studying both of those you kind of come usually somewhere in the middle but the my point is we still have teachers on both ends of there so right i you know we do have teachers that'll stand up in front of the class and try to you know try to just like you said pour that information into a student's brain this is how you draw this is how you do that you know so it, it happens too in the arts and then the kids are not the same as what they were when you were a student, when I was a student, when, you know, the generation before that, you could have a teacher standing up there and give all the information out. And a lot of the students might capture that. Mm-hmm. 
it depends on the teacher, but it's. It, I think we. I think we know that that's probably not the best method well, of teaching. Yeah, and I think that's because there was there was only one option a long time ago of ways to learn. The only right. option was to listen to people. Right. And now there are so many options. There, you know, if you don't want to listen to somebody, then you go look it up on the internet, or right. you go watch a movie, or you go, you know. So I think w- when students get to choose their own type of learning, that makes teachers like that kind of, you know, not as. Kind of- it kind of reminds me of uh, the way that writing education is, is kind of changed. And, you know, there's writing and artistry is, I look at very similar because writing is, is very individual. You have a certain style, mm-hmm. you, you have a certain way of, of writing. And there are certain aspects of writing that I, as a teacher, need to help guide the students to understand. But also, in, in kind of a, like a writing workshop, uh, format, you know, there's there's certain types of forms and 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 things that I can help them out that I need to show all and then sit down with them individually. But then also there's an aspect where they have an individual project that runs for a longer period of time. So when they are done with certain writing assignments or they need kind of a brain break, they can start. There's an idea that they can create their own novel or short story. Mm-hmm. And they can work on that throughout the nine weeks, semester, or year. So that's kind of an individual thing. But you hope that they're taking some of the um, the forms and the, the ideas that that I'm showing them and helping them guide, help guide them, and that they're integrating that throughout their story. Mm-hmm. But it also gives them some freedom too, because it's not graded. It's not a graded writing. It's just it's kind of giving them an outlet. Yeah, this is interesting. I mean, this opens a whole nother can of worms because my district has just started to get into the grading you know the grading thing and we, we talk about <clears throat> not grading anything until it's a summative evaluation you know right. not, not grading wow. assignments allowing cool. students to fail allowing yeah well that does not mix with a lot of the teachers that don't um <laughs> teach yeah, in that I, vein I, I know, I know there's, where that's going. there's a lot of of opposition and for me that's that's exactly what it should be i mean like you know if i'm teaching a kid to watercolor paint how can i grade them on the first time they've ever picked up a watercolor paint exactly you know, they got to be able to pick it up and screw around with it and fail and that's how you learn yes and that's, yes and so that's not a big deal for me but it's a big deal for some people anyway the point was oh, have, that's awesome have you read the book um drive by daniel pink no have you heard of it no it's all about motivation daniel pink is kind of big in the um art community which is ironic because he, he's not an artist whatsoever. He's <laughs> um, he's a business person, and usually usually we don't play well together. But um, he was uh, he he wrote for like you know we could do an entire show on this guy. He's pretty cool. He he wrote for he was like a speechwriter for one of the presidents, um, and he's a business. He, he did something like for business for the White House, and um, now he's just coming out and saying that like. Everything's completely different. Everything has changed. Um, his his book that got me hooked on him was, uh, oh god, right brainers will rule the future or something like that. And it was essentially saying that like so many tasks that we used to put so much, so much into, you know, becoming, um, it, it, okay. So the best analogy that I've re- read in his books are if, if, um, if industrialization and machines took over physical labor, you know, made it easier and faster to do, then computers are taking over many of the jobs 
that we once thought were, you know, many of the desk jobs, because all that's getting outsourced to to other areas. Mm-hmm. So what they're what people are looking for now are people that are emotional and that can, you know, think and can come up with really interesting new ideas. So his new book, Drive, is all about motivation. Yeah. And the reason it fits into this is it's all about how companies motivate their workers. He does an entire part of this book on how this could impact education. I haven't even gotten to that part yet, but I see exactly where he's going to go with it. And uh, and it's pretty interesting because it's it's all about new and old motivation and, and the way the, you know, the kind of carrot on the stick doesn't work anymore. <laughs> uh, so that's a Sir Ken Robinson. That, yeah. Yeah. It, it's not, that's, yeah. Divergent thinking, creative mm-hmm. thinking. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what needs to be taught. And rote memorization does not teach that. Yeah. How long do you oh, think? Oh, how about, is... uh, hold on a second. Yeah. So basically the rote memorization stuff, we don't need, well, I, oh, this is, a, that's, that is another can of worms. Do we need to know as much about that rote memorization when we can just look it up instantaneously on our phone or computer? Exactly. You know, it, one of the, the the one of the best chapters about um, I loved it. it was it was a chapter from from the Drive book, and it it just gave out. It said, okay, if you asked, uh, it was 1996, and you asked a um, you know someone deep in the business industry which of these two products would be more successful? And one was a, a multi-billion dollar funded, um, two, two people were going to make encyclopedias. And one was going to make an encyclopedia where they had tons of, of funding. They were going to pay the smartest people to research this. And they were going to have um, multiple ways to distribute it on disc and on um, all this other stuff. And they were going to have the backing of major corporations like Microsoft. And then the other was... Um, there's going to be no money made from it. There's going to be no money put into it and no one will be paid for the information that they put on it. And, <laughs> and obviously one was Wikipedia yes, and one is Encarta, which was just buried right you now by Microsoft. So yeah. no, that's obviously cool. you would always choose, you know, a business person would always choose Encarta. Why, why would you not? You right. Know? But, um, that's not what always works. And no. that's, I think where we're stuck is like, yeah. sometimes it looks so obvious and so basic. Yeah. Why not just drill exactly what we want into these kids? That's not always what works. No. And in, in, in an argument for, you know, yes, we can look up that information. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being, you know, and I just talked about this with my students yesterday. Just because um, you have an instrument or a tool to use to find that information doesn't mean you can find it. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you can even understand it. So knowing some, you do need to know some basic knowledge in order to have your brain uh, filter through it. And figure out what what is the correct answer. There, you know, we were doing we were working on uh, a you know kind of a basic time periods of Egypt, mm-hmm. and I broke it down into five. And there are many more than five. I mean, so the history people out there don't email me and say you know there's <laughs> more than five. Yes, I, I, I broke so it down to five, trying to five. simplify. Okay. There's five, and but you could go to ten different websites. And you could have ten different ways of, of saying this information, and you could have dates that don't even match. They'd be similar, but they wouldn't match. So filtering through that information, and what I told the kids, I said, you know, you guys are really intelligent, but you're not. You don't know how to search, and you don't know how to read through the the information and filter out what you need and be able to make a good um, guesstimate or, or a decision mm-hmm. on an answer. And 
that's something that's a skill that these kids oh yeah and how to learn how often do we do we teach online bias because i remember when uh, i was in school i remember learning to to pick up and to judge the bias of newspapers but i never learned that about a website you know yeah. and there are several things that play into that you know the visual design of a website okay. i mean you can look at two websites and it's going to you know if one is a plain purple background I, I'm not going to believe everything that's on it. And sometimes incorrectly, you know, maybe the information could be good, but presentation is, is the same thing. You know, just like if, if you got a newspaper that was handwritten by some person, you probably wouldn't believe it as much as a professional looking right. newspaper. So I, I think that's another skill. That's something we wow. have to get over and say, listen, you need to, you need to attack things with Wikipedia with a bias. You need to understand that this is information put together by use, people, but still pretty reliable information. Right. You can use Wikipedia, mm-hmm. but I'm teaching the kids to look at the res- look at the sources they used. Yep. And just because they put the sources on there doesn't mean that necessarily they took that information correctly from that source. Right. Yeah. You so still it's got to check out the source. Oh my goodness. So yeah, then I go to the sources. So that's it's tough. It is so difficult. So going back to the article, that was that was awesome, Jerry. That was a great. Uh, going tangent. back to the article, um, so he looks at so David Warlick talks about how um, promote the use of games. Um, the game is still what happens after teaching. So going back to that, so then teachers are looking for um, games that they can use in the classroom, and most teachers, and I don't know, if, uh, I don't know if I want to say most, but I'll, there are a lot of teachers that are just looking for simple flash games that they can learn math and learn, you know, basic knowledge to mm-hmm. basically to, I guess, gather up basic information. He's basic a lot there, didn't I, in the last few sentences. Mm-hmm. But to gather information and to memorize it. Mm-hmm. And that's what a flash-based game is. And he's like, that doesn't interest him. That, yeah, well, because that's... That's deceiving. That's saying I use games, but I'm going to use them to, you know, to like people that use games like that is essentially just reinforcing the wrong kind of teaching. Well, but but there's now you can use those in in a in a good way. Memorization of math facts. Okay. yeah. So, you know, there are certain things that you do just need to know Mm -hmm. and to memorize. And even though yes, you can pull out a calculator and 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 uh, you know find an answer, that's fine. But I will I'll tell you that the kids that know their math facts have a far easier time understanding and comprehending what is going on in math. Now there could be a study shows maybe not, but what I what I've seen in my 15 years of teaching is that the kids that know their math facts well are able to move through math and not struggle as much with math than those who don't. Now, there are students that use the multiplication table and they'll use their calculator and they can work it from there. They might have a block in their brain on, on that part of memorization with numbers, and that's fine. I can't do, you know, I, I, I can't do a lot of math in my head like big numbers. Mm-hmm. I know my 12, you know, 12 by 12 table, I can do addition, subtraction of numbers in my head, but not huge numbers, and there's some people that can. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, I'm really good with Excel. Mm-hmm. And I can I can visually see it, and I know my you know order of operations through Excel, um, but that's a different type of skill. Also, the brain is different, and it works in different ways. Memorization is not a bad thing, mm-hmm. in, in 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 some regards, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you have to have that. So, 
He also talks about, for instance, one interesting quality of games our children play is that do, they do not require you to learn the rules before you play the game. Where have we heard that before? Uh, G? Yeah, how about that? James G. So, uh, And then Lucas Gillespie mm -hmm. and uh, 3D you know, Game Lab, mm -hmm. Boise State. And um, you know, I think uh, Joel Levin, who's a Minecraft teacher, his mm -hmm. stuff's taken off. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah. Well, Minecraft has taken really taken off. Yeah, that's that's a whole that's a whole other thing. So, it, learning about roles and rules is part of the playing, and it's not a surprise that uh, that they have to be learned. So that's that's an interesting. Uh, there is a um, talks about there is a fairly nondescript and unreferenced book in the classroom uh, that, when moved, releases a switch. So he's talking about an activity within uh, maybe. Um, he, this Ewan uh, Macintosh recently described a very simple but explicit illustration of of finding secrets within a game, you know, a new power or gaining new skills within a game. That you know, you know how you find these um, extra little um, nuggets within a in, within a video game, and they give you special powers, right? You know what I'm talking about, Jerry? Yep. Okay, <laughs> didn't hear you there. I was trying to get the dog out of the room. I, I got visitors during the room. Okay. So he says students find this by exploring an environment. They explore because they expect to find secrets. It's an example of what uh, Macintosh calls secret spaces. So you, you're going out there exploring. You know, we we as humans are explorers, mm -hmm. right? So so what if there was a learning platform hidden in inf with these information switches? And this is I'm quoting from uh, Warlock here. Uh, such that when a student references a particular document in his work, he's suddenly endowed with new powers. It, it's it's an invitation to formally explore areas, uh, explore a topic of personal interest, and are awarded points or admin rights to further continue um, his profile. It, it basically what it's doing is that you're you're rewarded by exploring. You're rewarded by going through the experiences. Mm -hmm. So what if curriculum was an adventure, and learning was the reward? So, that is a whole, you know, I kind of, I think I kind of butchered there, Mr. Warlick. So, I think I got a general idea that learning needs to be, um, the curriculum is adventure and learning is the reward. So, we've, we've heard this before on this podcast. We've had guests that have talked about it. We've talked about that. Now, we go to David Gray, or not David Gray, uh, Ben Gray, woo, mm -hmm. uh, Ben Gray, who talks about one-to-one. -one, and he wrote this wonderful uh, post you know, blog post, and I sent it out to many, uh, many people and got great responses. So Ben, you did a great job with this. And it really wasn't, it was asking questions. It was looking for a discussion, but um, he talks about here, teachers in, in our days growing up, teachers were the experts of content and poured forth the content upon the masses uh, seated in the desk before them. Whether you believe this is right or wrong, this is the experience that nearly all of us had through school. Huh? Kind of similar, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So he's he's saying we're collectively uh, working to try to figure out what it means to have every student sitting in a ubiquitous, ubiqu <laughs> help me out, ubiquitous, ubiquitous, ubiquitous. Oh my God! Okay, sorry. Uh, access butcher the English language. <laughs> Check uh, access to one of the most transformative and disruptive technologies in history at any given moment in the school day about what that does to the notion of content about how we can move to work in the lives of our students to create young historians, eager scientists, insightful mathematicians, and powerful authors. 
<laughs> so it has him wondering and says to we need to reimagine what learning could look like what it should like look look what it should look like because the technology really can and should change the way we approach learning <laughs> hmm. so we shouldn't be the sage upon the stage we hmm. should be coming up with ways to have the students learn actively learn they should be the ones exhausted and i will even tell my mentor's name joe white who was phenomenal and Fred Walk, and there's several others that were in my school district that were just amazing teachers, and they had this they had this down years ago. The idea that you you have the students learn, they should be exhausted at the end of the day. So both of these articles talk about the same same thing. Mm -hmm. Ben's looking for an answer. Games could be one of those answers, right? Mm -hmm. It could be an answer to help. So the kids are involved. The the teachers are the guide. Now, how do you think that goes over in a school district, Jerry? Uh, well, there. let's just say hesitation is a good word. Yes. Giving up control. Yeah. This. Uh, uh, okay. Just as a disclaimer, none of these are my reactions, but the reactions I see. Right. Um, fear. Yes. And... Um, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. Right. There's, there's a... There's a lot, and uh, I got into this at the end of my master's program when I had to make recommendations to a program. It was one of my like final papers, and one of the biggest things I think that troubles our society, and, and with so, not our society, but our educational society, and some of this with good reason, which which I also stated, is um, complete fear to fail. To fail, there's huge fear of failure, mm -hmm. and that's because you're working with people's children, right? So you don't want to fail, and also because now test scores you know you, you don't have a chance to fail because we are moving on this in list. the wrong direction yeah and and so i yes you you mean school not the podcast that's good um, <laughs> <laughs> i was like it's like well jeez school no it's 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 we're you know uh I, I think we're both in this the same boat here you know i do like the formative the summative uh not grading the formative you know you can take a summative but it but it might take somebody two or three times before they get that information. And that should be their grade. Your goal is to get them to, you know, from point A to point B. Um, in schools, you know, it, it, with standardized testing, you have one test, right, that could determine a lot for a school district, for a student, for a teacher, especially if you're going to be evaluated based upon that mm -hmm. and I was just in a meeting this week talking about uh, data points for uh, certain students that might need an IEP or intervention of some sort and guess how many at least we need at least nine data points in order to be stati statistically accurate in some way three it's not enough because the the math doesn't work out so here I am listening to an expert within my school talking about how we have to have nine data points in order to get a good idea of where this child is concerning his his reading, right? Mm -hmm. And here we are saying that we are going to take one test. Now I know the the evaluation aspect and the, the there's going to be some flexibility I know within the state of Illinois on those assessments, but it's still one assessment. Mm -hmm. That's one assessment of one, one day. Assessment. And so I get one message saying that we can't, we don't really know what's happening until I get nine data points on this child. And yet out the other side of their mouth, they're saying, you know, that, that uh, we, we could just have one test. 
Mm-hmm. And, and on top of that, the the type of test when oh, when, yes. when we ask, we constantly ask students to, you know, I I don't know a single person that stands at the front of their class and says, "Listen, kids, in life." You're going to have to make snap decisions and you're going to have to make 45 of them within 60 minutes and they're all going to only have black or white answers. One's going to be right and three are going to be wrong and you have to do it right now, regardless of how you're feeling. You know, that's and you can't go think about it. You can't research it. You got to do it right now. That's the complete opposite of what we teach children. If I teach children anything, I hope that it's take your time, consider all angles and make the right decision based on the evidence. And don't be afraid to you. And don't be afraid to fail. Now, right. I'll play de- I'll play devil's advocate. You know, if you are in a position of authority, administration or 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 something, you know, sometimes you do have to make big decisions. Mm-hmm. And you have to make them sometimes you have to make them very quickly. Sometimes you can collaborate and work with others in order to make that decision uh, to make the best decision possible. And sometimes no matter what you do, it's not going to come out right. Mm-hmm. So it's just like what it, it's it's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's very frustrating. So we, we should be teaching our kids how to learn how to make those decisions, how to gather that information, and how to make the best decision possible. I agree. But our assessments of these students is not done in that way. Mm-hmm. It's, and there's two sides. There are there, there are two sides. I mean, there's part of me. That Isn't wishes, that exactly what we're talking about, though? We're talking about seeing two sides. We're talking about figuring out the right or the wrong way, and the test and, doesn't give you that option. And, and openness, right? And openness, and and not have like a flash game where your answer's right or wrong. Where mm-hmm. do we find? Where do we find where students can make decisions? And and those decisions, you could make ten different decisions, and they might all come out to be okay. Or you could make ten different decisions, and, and they might all come out wrong. Mm-hmm. Where do we find examples of that, Jerry? <sighs> Where do we, come, Jerry? Yeah. You're not joking with me, are you? No. Jerry. What? What's our podcast? Video games. There you go, man. I knew you knew it. <laughs> I mean, video games. Let me get the dog out of the room. Our, our brain is our brain is fried after this discussion. But no games. Yeah. I will make this prediction. I will make this prediction that, and I'm I'm a geek, so you know, bear with me on here. That eventually we will get to the point of time where Star Trek, where we have like holodecks, or we have places where we can go in, and they're already working on this technology. I mean, the military already has. Kind of like a um, a 3D environment, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where soldiers can go in and, and practice, and they have these screens going around them. That our learning environments could be something like that, where we step into a room, and we are taken to another place, mm-hmm. and we interact with that place, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm teaching about uh, the Boston Massacre, okay, or the Tea Party. Mm-hmm. Or the um, uh, Thomas Jefferson writing the Declaration of Independence mm-hmm. to actually step inside, kind of like a, a simulation, like a, um, a virtual reality type thing, and see the actual event take place. Mm-hmm. 
don't you think that involvement of actually participating in or being part of would be the best learning experience of all? Absolutely. I've, I've been in things like that, and it's phenomenal. So, you know, that's, that's where I see things going down the road. And Minecraft and Civilization and World of Warcraft, and I'm very hopeful. Uh, then, in I think it comes out this week, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, the um, uh, the multiplayer game, uh, as a multiplayer game that's coming out. Um, you know that we could find learning and uh, situations within within that. Mm-hmm. And so this David Warlick article, Peggy she responds and she gives out she lists Prensky's twelve. Mark Prensky's a, a writer uh, about education and learning, mm-hmm. and it talks about games are a form of fun. They give them enjoyment and pleasure. One, two, games are a form of play. They give intense and passionate involvement. Three, games have rules that give us structure. Mm-hmm. Four, games have goals that give us motivation. Five, games are interactive that gives us doing that we're involved in and being part of. Six games are adaptive. That gives us flow. They ever change, just like life, don't they, Jerry? Mm-hmm. Games are uh, um, so um, seven. Games are have outcomes and feedback that gives us learning. There's rewards. Mm-hmm. There's there's penalties. There's rewards. You do something wrong, <laughs> you know, you might be penalized for that. Uh, but the and, and the important part is the the penalty is not so severe. That it makes you stop, right? Because that's one of the things he says a good game is, is, you know, if the penalty is too severe and you have to start over the entire game, then nobody's going to play. Well, that's what school's doing. It's making the penalties too severe for failing. Right. And so, and then you might have to go back. You might lose experience points, Mm -hmm. you know, but you go back. Do you, do you lose a level? No, you're still, no, you stay on, you stay on the same level. You might lose the points, you know, the experience points, but you never lose a level. You're always gaining. You're always right. That's why I like that 3D, you know, game lab. Um, let's see. That was it seven games have outcomes that gives, you know, feedback uh, that gives us learning. Eight games have win states that gives us ego gratification. Nine games have conflict, competition, challenge, opposition that gives us adrenaline. Ten games have uh, problem solving that sparks our creativity 11 games have interaction that gives us social groups and 12 games have representation and story that gives us emotion Hmm. so those are all part of games yeah and it's i don't know i think and i think lucas gillespie has a link here on this this article talks about his world of warcraft and literacy they have the whole they have the whole um um plan lesson plan you know of implementation it's online it's free mm-hmm. i'm worn out jerry i am exhausted i you know what though hmm. i don't want to brag i don't want to brag but i think that is one of our our best in a while i'd absolutely agree we we hit kind of everything on that one now i will not go into details mm-hmm. but uh we did get an email mm-hmm. um, last week about our how do we, <laughs> I want to say it? Just some helpful advice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's nice to hear from, you know, our, our viewers. And of course, I have my youngest daughter just popped into the room. Hmm. Um, and, and that, um, you know, but sometimes you need to kind of get focused. And just to remember that, you know, we are teachers, mm-hmm. not professional podcasters or this, this is podcasters true or something like that. But we as teachers always learn. Mm-hmm. So I, I do want to thank that 
that person that that did email us i think that led to i think that led to a very good podcast for today yeah i think we did a nice job so i think teachers always want to learn and uh learn from you know the things that they've done so uh hopefully this listener will thoroughly enjoy today's podcast because i i think i've learned something and i hope all of you have learned something too very nice. Did I say that? Did I say that well? Without I, it, it was excellent. Not too much there. So, uh, thank you for listening to this week's EdGamer podcast. Please follow us on edreach.us and follow all the great podcasts and blog posts. There's been some awesome ones lately. Please listen and, and read those uh, on the EdReach network. Have a great week. Wikipedia says there's at least eleven different time periods of ancient Egypt, not just five, Zach. I know, but there's the minor ones. <laughs> I just wanted to let you know that. You know, I've done a little stuff on that.